0: This is Canada Reads American Style, featuring two friends who love Canada Reads and Canadian literature. Welcome our host, Rebecca from Michigan and Tara from Ontario. Hi everyone, it's Rebecca, and I'm on my own today because Tara was not unable to join us. But I am excited to host Halle Gattery, author of an incredible memoir titled Fuse. Halle is a multi-genre writer living in Ontario on Anishinaabe land. She has her MFA in creative writing from the University of Guelph. Her fiction, nonfiction, and poetry have been published in various literary journals and magazines. Fuse, her memoir of mixed race identity and mental health, was released in spring 2021. And Rebellion Box is her debut collection of poetry and is planned for publication in 2023. Welcome, Halle.
1: Hello, thank you for having
0: me. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. So we're just going to jump right into it. And I kind of actually have a three-part question for the, first, uh, for the first question, which is, for those who have not yet read your memoir, could you tell us a little bit about it? What is the meaning of the title, which I think is beautiful, and who designed that cover, which is stunning? I threw, I'm throwing that one in there as well.
1: Yeah, um, so the um, the book Fuse is a, it's a meditations on my mixed race identity and mental illness. So it started with me really thinking about something a therapist said to me once, which was how there's a documented prevalence of um, eating disorders in biracial women. And I, you know, you know, kind of filed that information, but didn't really think too much of it. Uh, I didn't think too much of being in therapy at the time period. So, um, and then I realized that as I, you know, eventually went back to a different therapist and started talking and researching on my own and looking into stuff that's, you know, not just eating disorders and uh, not necessarily to do with um, directly because of being mixed race, but because. Um, eating disorders have a lot of comorbidities like obsessive compulsive disorder and self-harm and addiction so these diseases just kind of bleed into each other so i thought to myself oh i'll be able just to talk about my eating disorder and then when i started looking into my other mental um, illnesses i was like wow they're all really connected it's not really uncommon to have all of these existing at the same time in fact it's probably more uncommon to only have one without another so Um, That is what Fuse was about and discussing this not very academically but through my lived experience as a um, Iranian and um, European, somebody of Iranian and European descent. My mother's been in Canada, her family's been in Canada forever so I would say Canadian but Canadian can mean anything so Mm -hmm. I'll say white European (laughs) to be very specific Mm -hmm. about it. Okay, and then the uh, title Fuse. Um, that is uh refers to really just a word i used in one section where i was talking about my uh after a episode of self-harming how uh when the skin was fusing back together on my forearm it really hurt and itched and pulled and i was trying not to think about it but i was all bandaged up it was a, it wasn't like just a little cut it was like quite bad i needed stitches so um i was thinking about how being mixed race how it always feels like i'm you know, pulling myself together and uh, trying to force some kind of meaning out of what is for me at times a very fractured existence. And then the title, uh, the, pa- the cover was designed by David Morato, who's Guernica's co- book designer. The uh, idea, kind of inspiration behind the image is uh, by a Persian artist. Uh, I believe she's in California named Ziba Safani. So uh, she does amazing work, and uh, I was really loved her work. But when it came to the actual title of the book, we couldn't really, or actual cover, we couldn't really use just her work. We wanted to incorporate a lot of my ideas, and so that is the cover. Um, and I like the idea of a, a woman having her eyes and, you know, almost her mouth covered by a scarf.
0: And then, so with Fuse, the title—had you already? Did you sort of know that you wanted to have that as the title, or did it come out of actually writing the memoir?
1: Uh, it came out of writing the memoir. My the, the working title for this project for years was uh, "Memoirs of a Fat Kid on Track and Field Day," <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, which was never going like, which was never going to make it. Like, I knew that wasn't going to yeah. be the title. That's just how I thought about it in my brain. And then I um I wrote uh, this book um, in a different incarnation for my master's thesis as a novella, a fictionalized novella. And it was, you know, it was fine, but, you know, not... I, I definitely veered off from my life and whatever. So there was that too. Um, and that was called Jump Track. But then when it, I really had no idea what this name was going to be. Uh, but then one of my early readers of this, um, when I was when she was editing that section, she didn't uh, care for the word choice. And she crossed out and suggested the skin fused together. And as soon as I saw that word choice, I was like, that's it. So I wasn't even my idea. really. (laughs) It was was one of my readers. So thank you, Aga.
0: (laughs) I love that. That's awesome. So now because I love your memoir so much, I was telling you beforehand that when i gave it my rating i used an an, an alphabetical uh, alphabetical rating and i gave it an a plus because i just thought it was so beautiful in terms of the story that you're telling and who you are as a person because you are so multifaceted and 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 so transparent and open about who you are but also the writing i loved how you sort of would start sort of telling us a little something, and then you'd jump away from it and go into something else. But then you'd always come back, and then you'd explain everything out. And I just thought it was such a, you know, a lot of memoirs are pretty, you know, linear, but yours wasn't. And that's one of the things I loved about it. And so I'm wondering if you would be willing to read an excerpt from your book.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, This is the first time I haven't, like, really selected an excerpt. I'm just going to kind of open it and see where it takes me. Because every time I select one, I I always just find I tend to read the same thing over and over. And they're like the ones that I'm comfortable reading. So I'm going to push myself out of my comfort zone and just kind of see where it takes me. And if, it's, if, I, if I open it to somewhere where I need to like lead in, I'll I'll like, you know, situate everyone. So it's not too terrible. Great. Okay. So, okay. We are starting in funnily enough, the um, chapter called Jump Track, um, which I did take from my original thesis. It's nothing like my original thesis. I just kept it. And so this is my wedding. And how after my wedding, or at my wedding, which my father didn't come to, I was kicked out of my house, my dad's house, uh, because uh, he found out I was pregnant with my first child. So uh, he's upset. My bro- my older brother's actually worried for my, I don't want to say physical safety because my father never hurt me, but maybe my dad having a heart attack. My dad was so angry. So my brother wakes me up in the moonlight and says like, you have to leave now, get out of the house. So I'm going to be starting there. And this, this is a really hard one to jump into because <laughs> as the name suggests, it jumps all over the place. So it's, yeah. it fall- it's fine. Like in my mind, because that's what my mind does, but might be hard. So I'll do my best to read slowly. Okay. While my husband and I were piling books into pillowcases, I came across a book from my grandfather, my mother's father, the man I na- end up naming my baby after. It was a National Geographic book designed to introduce children to geometry. I sat down and pored over shapes, hexagons, parallelograms, dodecagons. I hoped that the certainty of right angles would bring me a little peace, calm me, but I felt nothing. I had the presence of a damp, heavy sheet tossed over a laundry line. I'm not here if you don't want me to be. Just impose your will on my worm. There was another man sitting at the bar beside the stranger and me. He said, Believe what you want as much as you'd like, but gravity's just a theory. The other man had been speaking for a few minutes, maybe longer. I'd been caught up in my thoughts and didn't register him until the bearded stranger said, You're an annoying little man. I hadn't realized that the other guy was talking to me until he looked in my direction and put his hand to his chest and opened his eyes wide and said, excuse me, ma'am, am I annoying you? Of course you are, you little shit. She didn't come here to be bothered by you. The new man squared his shoulders. Most women don't want to be bothered by me. My girlfriend kicked me out of the car on the highway and told me to walk here. I tried to imagine what his girlfriend might look like and could only picture a scuffed pylon. The man looked in my direction again tried to focus on my face, and finally settled on my chest. Am I bothering you? I said, no. The first man said, piss off, wanker. Rob, he said, my name's Rob. Piss off, Rob. I smiled into my drink. I was finding comfort in the new man's natural chaos, his unkept hair, tumbling slouch into his beer, voice like ice cracking. Rob said, whatever happened to humor? The world is suffering. Kind of makes me want to go home and watch Dr. Phil. Everyone in my family was home that night, but my older brother was the only one who said goodbye. He gave me a hug and apologized again. My mother and younger brother may have been sleeping. My dad was likely fuming in silence, waiting until he heard Matthew and me drive away. I'd been doing my best to move my belongings quietly, but was struggling to carry one of the pillowcases of heavy books. I dropped it into the hall outside my room. The textbook thudded against the hardwood floor. I sucked in my breath and paused. Silence. I exhaled and started jamming books back until Matthew came and took the pillowcase from me, motioning with his head to go back to my room. I didn't. I stood there, frustrated and watching him. The first time I saw Matthew, he was on a treadmill at the gym. I'd worked there as a personal trainer. He'd been running tall, broad-shouldered, pulled back, eyes forward. I thought, now there's amazing posture. I thought he made it look easy. My eyes followed him around the facility. Whether he was running or benching or deadlifting, he made working hard look easy. This is what attracted me, his ability to suffer without giving anything away. I didn't trust people who looked like they couldn't suffer. Less than six months later, I was pregnant. When I called to tell him, he paused only for a fraction of a second and then blurted out, that's fantastic. I crumbled, sobbing into the phone. No, it's not. Kitty, he said laughing, showing already who would be the more laid back parent. Kitty, of course it is. And I'll end there.
0: That was amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I
1: oh thank you. And, and
0: even though I mean it was kind of in the middle of the book, it's it's a great sometimes people will start right with the beginning of the book. And I just think that was a great excerpt. So thank you, gosh.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And I know it was confusing. It's like I said, it's jumping around from the night my dad kicks me out to me sitting at a bar getting shit faced <laughs> um, to, to meeting my husband. To, but like, I think that's the way, it's certainly the way my brain works. But I think a lot of people's brains, mm-hmm. you know, when they're trying to think about their lives, like really do jump around. Um, at least like for me, it, I think through feeling more than chronological order. Like I, I think 1996 was yesterday. Like I don't have a concept of time.
0: <laughs> that might be why I loved this book so much because I think my brain works that way as well. Yeah. I'm definitely not linear at all. I'm always yeah. like all over the place, but anyway, so yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, now, obviously, and I'm kind of glad this sort of segues into the next question especially about your dad, but your parents obviously play a a huge role in your memoir. And I wondered if you could describe your relationship with them and how that has informed your own parenting style, because I'm going to assume that you are parenting differently than you were parented.
1: Yeah, I try. (laughs) (laughs) Every every now and then I open my mouth and my dad comes out. (laughs) there he is um yeah I certainly try because there was a lot of double standards and hypocrisy growing up and I mean there was tons of love too I mean I never doubted for a second my parents loved me but there was a lots of secret keeping and like I didn't know a lot of things about my family like I didn't know that addiction ran in my family because nobody really talked about mental illnesses and I sometimes think you know if I'd known would I have started drinking the way I did. Like my kids definitely know that, you know, addiction runs in our family, like certain cancers run in other families, you know, like it's, whereas I, you know, to this day, I don't know if my parents would really be like, oh yeah, there, we have lots of addicts in our family or lots of people suffering from mental illness. I mean, I don't know if they classify it or characterize it that day, but like that way, of looking around at my extended family, I can certainly... Um, like on both sides, I like can both- see. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I wanted to do that. I wanted to give my kids, I didn't want to view my children as like proto humans. I think that happens a lot, uh, where it's like they're not really people. They're just like extensions of the adult. And I wanted to always treat them like themselves and always give them, you know, a voice. And even if I was, you know, if they were being, I don't want to say discipline because I don't really discipline, but if they, if I was asking them to even just like go and be by yourself a bit to calm down, that they understood why that was being asked of them. And there were so like mysteries about my motivations that they always felt control and power about their autonomy and about the choices they make about their bodies, the choices they make for the way uh, they look about what they're interested in in their lives and what they want to do when they get older. I really try not to enforce my will on them because I, I certainly felt that. And I treat, you know, my children the same, you know, as much as you can. I mean, obviously, girls face different challenges than boys in the world. But I don't um, I I wouldn't say that my son could do something that my daughter couldn't um, unless she just physically couldn't do something. So, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely that. But, you know, then, you know, my son will walk into his room and slam the door um, because he's upset that like I don't know, I'm I'm making him, you know, he, he didn't, you know, scoop up all the dog poop or something. I'm like, get back out there, and he's upset with me. And he goes and slams the door. And I like i am there turning into my father, taking the door off of its hinges, going, You want to slam the door on me? Now you don't have a door. Congratulations. I'm like, there he is. There's there's moji, you <laughs> know. So, you know, you can definitely see how being a parent how like i was a mouthy little brat wow like i'm i am getting what i deserve now because i definitely pushed buttons and i was definitely very mouthy and so i can also see sometimes where my parents were coming from <laughs> certain things and how frustrating and exhausting kids are. And, you know, there's always like, well, you shouldn't have them then. It's like, yeah, well, you can love something and it can exhaust you too. These things aren't mutually exclusive. (laughs) They're, they're exhausting.
0: Yeah. And the one thing that struck me about your mom, there was that part about she told you something about what your dad had said about you. Yeah. And even when you kind of came back around, you even said your dad was surprised that your mom did that. And so that to me was that, that really stuck out for me as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, these, these are like two very complex people that I don't, I don't have figured out in any way, shape or form. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like I I was trying so hard when I wrote this to, tell the story of them simply as this is how I interpreted them doing this stuff as for their Mm -hmm. true motivations behind any of it I didn't venture to make a guess like I I think I even say during that part I don't know why she did it maybe it was because of this maybe it was because of that I I don't like you know some people might say oh it's because she's in a fight with your father so she was trying to like get you upset with him too so you'd be on her side you know I I don't maybe she was you know jealous i was out of the house and she was stuck in you know i was at university beginning my life and she's stuck with this guy that she's fighting with all the time i i don't know i don't i'm not going to like venture a guess for her all i know is the way that you know her telling me those things affected me you know and how it you know was really actually devastating and yeah. i it's just being a mother now this that is one of those things that You know, I've said to, I've said to Matthew before, like, there are certain things when we're frustrated, we say about our children that aren't supposed to leave, you know, the sanctity of that parental space. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you just don't repeat it because it's not, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to hurt them like that. And because you don't mean it. And even if you mean like a little bit of it, like if they are truly being a turd, like, they they don't need to know that. They don't need to be put (laughs) down. (laughs) <laughs> so i mean i don't like that that's tough and to tell you the truth like that's something that i think what my mom like maybe i don't know i, was gonna say, I think she could have maybe benefited from like therapy or which you know people think as being like such a horrible thing to say like you should get therapy but it's like the best thing the most loving thing i think of just yeah. i i don't think i don't think boundaries were really there that yeah you know, i i needed protecting i didn't need to be buried and i got buried and maybe she thought she was doing me a favor like that's a possibility too that she thought yeah. she was doing me a favor by telling me the truth maybe she was i don't know
0: <laughs> you know and i think too that mother daughter relationships there's just so much to unpack there in yeah. just everyday life in general and then when you have other issues like you say you know, some addiction issues or mental health issues. Yeah. It's going to just make all of those things bigger than life. So yeah, I think that's, that's a challenge.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my parents haven't even read the book, nor do I want them to. And
0: I wonder about that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, when I say, nor do I want them to, I think for them to read the book, I'd need them to kind of, I need them to absolutely go in with a really super open mind and actually, read what I wrote and not read bringing their own stories there Mm -hmm. like this this isn't a court you don't need an argument for everything you know like it's I I remember one part I say that my mom grew up in Leaside and she's like no it was actually whatever it was like a neighborhood over I'm like what it's the same thing was you were surrounded by really wealthy people like it it, and you know I if if I offered to have you read this in advance (laughs) (laughs) it ultimately doesn't change the story so like i'm afraid that people like will latch on to tiny little inaccuracies like that as the whole story the whole thing falls apart you can't believe anything i say so i really do i'm fine with them not reading it i'm very fine with them not reading it um i i think i almost feel better that they have it but if they want i mean i gave her a copy of the book (laughs) she's she's probably throws darts at it <laughs> but as she is welcome to do I mean I always think what would I do is my my kids wrote this like growing up with a mother who has obsessive compulsive disorder I'm sure there's going to be at least a pretty good memoir in there. <laughs> like, woo! Uh, you know like it's I just think of that song um, you know by Philip Larkin a, a song that that poem by Philip Larkin, this be the verse, you know, they fuck you up your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. Uh, they take they take all the hurt they had then add some extra just for you. But they were fucked up in their turn by fools in old hats and coats who half the time were soppy stern and half at one another's throats. Man turns misery on to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out of as early as you can and don't have any kids yourself. <laughs> like, there it is.
0: I have to share that poem with my sister. I would not heard it before, but she and I, neither one of us had children. So I'm just saying we have our own issues. And so that, that poem might resonate for the two of us, my sister and I. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think we do like, I I may not be making the same um, errors as my, I don't even want to say mistakes or errors. That's weird. Like I may not be making the same decisions my parents made because they were just doing the best they can, they could, right? Like, I wasn't, I wasn't like abused or anything like that. But um, I'm sure I'm making new ones. (laughs) I always remember my mom be like always having time to sit down with me and cuddle me and do crafts with me. But my addict brain, I mean, I'm I'm sober, but my addict brain doesn't let me sit down. I I have trouble sitting down Mm. to do things with my kids. So I mean, I have these lovely memories of doing that with my mom and I don't have, my children will have very limited memories like that of me because I just don't stop moving ever. So I I'm tried just very hard to be compassionate because, you know, I think this world and I see it in a lot on social media is really hard on parents and some parents don't deserve grace. Some parents don't deserve for their kids not to be hard on them. But I think a lot of parents are getting flogged for just really trying their best and messing up. And I didn't want to add to that.
0: Everybody everybody's a hero behind their phone or keyboard. <laughs> exactly. Well, okay, but you just said hero. So now that takes me into the next question about Matthew. Matthew the oh, hero.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> and I have to laugh because when I was reading the book, I thought to myself, Wow, Matthew just is I mean Patience is his middle name, I think. But I thought he's so patient and he just comes across so well. So I have kind of have a two-part question. One is that just committing to staying married is challenging. So what would you say you've learned from Matthew and what has he learned from you? And also, what about Matthew's kind of maybe reputation of being like this perfect person?
1: Yeah. <laughs> These are good questions. <laughs> um, yeah, so of course being married is hard. I mean I can't if I was not already married, I would not get married. I I, I think I make it pretty clear that I was pressured into it a lot because of cultural values and I mean, not even Iranian values. I mean my my mom was a little bit worried about it, about you know mm-hmm what people would think I was pregnant. It's like, isn't everybody getting knocked up before they're married these days? <laughs> <laughs> kind of feels like it. I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal. But um, but I mean, my mom could have also been just like trying to, you know, keep me out of more trouble than I'd be in with my dad, which sounds ridiculous because I was like 28. Like mm-hmm. what? But I think there's, it's a cultural thing. And I, I meet other, you know, Middle Eastern women and, you know, you, your family is. Until you leave that house. And I had left that house at several points before I had just moved back home after a breakup with an ex-boyfriend. And I'd been away for like almost a decade before that. But they have like a lot of control over you. It's and in ways you didn't wouldn't think, like setting a wedding date. You know, I'm this adult person and I couldn't just say, No, I don't want to do this because I was so scared. But you know, I've spoken to Matthew, and I mean Matthew didn't really want to do it either. <laughs> You know, like he didn't say that then. This was like a conversation since I've written for you is where he was like, I didn't want to get married. It's like, shoot, <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> and that's not a saying that we didn't want to be together. It's just that neither of us were like particularly interested in the cult of marriage. That's all. I mean, now I sound like I'm really out there, the cult of marriage. I think that marriage can be a wonderful thing for certain people. I really think it works for certain people. I am not one of those people. And I find it very suffocating so I I and not because of anything he's doing it's because of the way as soon as you somebody hears you're married or sees you're married they treat you differently as a as a person as a woman they treat me differently and it's like no I just want to be me I don't want to be seen as me in half or I'm already halved you know what I mean like I don't want to be seen as any of like you know, I'm attached to this person that is so gross. Like I've already, like, I feel like most of my life I've had other people leeching identity, you know, either into me or off of me. I just don't want any part of it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a challenge and, you know, I really contemplated and I'm very serious. I'm laughing because I know how absurd I sound, but I contemplated divorcing Matthew staying with him, but not being married to him anymore. But at that point, uh, uh, I just feel like, like what divorcing him? Other than other than like not having this label that I think is arbitrary on me, it's not going to change anything. Mm-hmm. And if the label's arbitrary, then who the hell cares? Like, just who cares? So I don't wear my wedding ring. That's my like tiny, you know, you know, topple the patriarchy. Um, he wears his. That's up to him. I don't stop him he's fine with this because he, the way he says it is like, I know who I married. He met me at my worst. I mean, he met me at, I can't say like rock bottom because I think for most addicts, there's like many rock bottoms. They're just all kind of different, but he met me at one of the worst times in my life and like actually pursued me. So like when people are like, Oh, you know, he's, he's such a saint to, be with you. You're bananas. You're crazy. You're nuts. Um, I'm like, who? Who's the crazy one? Me or the one that hooked up with this knowingly? And I can say all this stuff, but as I say it, as I say, I don't want to be married to him. I want to be free. I want this. I want that. The fact of the matter is, like, he's also my best friend. He really is my best friend. I love him. It's just that I find the I find the shackles of matrimony just way too much and it's again nothing he's doing it's what a society both cultures the western and the middle eastern culture put on me and say i have to act like and i have to do i can remember one time sitting around a table at narus and i was speaking to my mom about an ex-boyfriend who she knew who i had just spoken to and my brothers said to my husband you're just gonna let her speak to him and my husband i can remember like wiping off the baby's face he was like shoving her mouth full of rice and uh, he said, "Pardon." He said, "You're." My dad's like, "You're just gonna let her speak to me?" She was. Like, I don't. He said, "I don't let Holly do anything," and just laughed. Mm. And that—that that was the end of it. But I mean, that there's the two things. It's like he no, he's not gonna. If he told me I can't talk to somebody, it'd be like, "Poof, you're single. Congratulations!" Like he, because I grew up with a man telling me what to do for most of my you know, young life, nobody is going to tell me what to do. Even when he's right,
0: he's not going to be telling
1: me what to do. I
0: don't yeah. want to hear it. So I want to know, what has Matthew learned from you?
1: Well, he says, has said, I'm putting words into his mouth, that uh, I, 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 I encourage him, I think he said force him, uh, <laughs> his words are forced, to be a, a better version of himself like to keep getting better and not to become complacent about things. He, he grew up in like, he's a you know cis white male that grew up in rural Ontario. Like it's not like he was exposed to a lot of like queer culture or marginalized culture or anything like that. So he's learned a lot about that through me.
0: Okay. Thank you. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, your poetry book coming out this year, and anything else you might be working on?
1: Rebellion Box is, you know, me rattling my chains is exactly what it sounds. It's about being trapped by your labels by life. It like goes into my obs- uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, which is existential OCD. You know, it, it, about getting older, you know, which is really interesting for women, <laughs> I think, uh, mm-hmm. it, and terrifying, but also really liberating. Yeah, widow fantasies is a collection of flash fiction, mostly so very, very, very short fictions about um, women using fantasies to subvert our roles in this world. That's what that's about. And then um, I'm working on a novel. I'm work- I'm also working on. I'm also working on more poetry to avoid <laughs> working on a <the> novel. <laughs> but I'm working on a novel. That's that's the end goal there.
0: Oh my gosh! Okay, well that's really exciting to hear. You've got so much more coming, and so I want people to read the memoir, and then obviously we'll be looking at the poetry, and then after that the the short fiction. So I look forward to that. Well, Holly, thank you. This has been just a really fascinating chat with you, and I guess none of it surprises me because following you on social media, I can just see how vibrant you are, and how real and transparent and open, and I just love that about you. But I just want to say thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Thank you
1: for joining us on our bookish journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider
0: subscribing, rating, and reviewing Canada Reads American Style wherever you listen. You can connect with the podcast and Rebecca on Instagram at Canada Reads American Style and with Tara at On a Branch Reads. Until next time, keep reading.